I don't know if it means I'm getting old, but I was listening to Prairie Home Companion yesterday. Um, and Garrison Keillor was, was, was telling the story that in his younger days, he had been out drinking too much, and he's pretty intoxicated. And he was trying to drive home, and he was flying down this gravel road going about 70 miles an hour in the middle of the night. And he crested the top of a hill, and there were three boys in the middle of the road. And he just knew that he was going to hit them. It was, it was too late to swerve. It was too late for anything. And he kind of braced himself for impact, waiting to hear that, that thump. And then he never heard anything. And he coasted to a stop. And he looks back and he sees the kids run screaming off into the woods. But they were, they were all fine. By, by some miracle, he doesn't know what happened. He didn't hit them. Uh, and... and he lived to tell about it, and they lived to tell about it. But he said, imagine how different my life had been if there hadn't been that miracle at that point, if God in his mercy hadn't kept me from hitting those boys. I would have had to live with that regret for the rest of my life. Some of us this morning have things that we've done that are hanging over us. Things that we've done that we regret, things that we struggle with that we regret, things that just seem too big for God to forgive. Some of us have broken places in our lives, places we've been hurt by people that we thought loved us and cared about us, and we wonder if anything can actually bring healing there. Others of us are just weary of the Christian life, right, because it just feels like such a struggle, like it's just, it's just, it's just, we feel like we're plowing through everything, and we don't know how we're going to make it to the end. And I, and I think maybe the best medicine for all of that is not for me to give us things to do to get better, but for us to, to, for a few minutes to get our eyes off of ourselves and our inadequacies and our hurts and our sins and focus instead this morning on God and his work his love, and his promises to us. So that's what we're going to do from Ephesians. Uh, this, is, this is the last time we'll be in these verses. Remember, verses 3 through 14 is just one big exclamation of praise. It's one sentence, actually, in the, in the Greek. Um, I'm going to read all of it, we're, but we're going to be focusing on the last three or four verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, 
so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, this is, this is your word. Uh, Paul wrote it, but it's, it's what you wanted written. Uh, and you've given it and you've preserved it for us. You've made it available to us in a language we can understand. And you mean it for our good and for our edification. And so, Father, I pray you would use it in that way this morning in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, three things I want us to, to, to focus on in the text, things that I think can, can pull us away from our discouragement, things that can uh, uh, pull us away from our despair, from our hurt, from our, from our focus on our sins. Uh, three things that I, I think if we get, they'll really help us to move forward in the Christian life with confidence. And there are these three things, God's love, God's plan, and God's guarantee. God's love, God's plan, God's guarantee. First of all, God's love. Now, where do I see that in the text? Well, look back up in verses 4 and 5, the very verse into verse 4. In love, he predestined us for adoption. You see it again in verses 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. He lavished grace upon us. We see his love in that. You see it, I think, also in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Now, verse 11 is interesting because some commentators think that's better translated, in whom we have been made a heritage. In other words, Paul may not be talking about so much there about our inheritance, but about the fact that we are God's inheritance that we are God's treasured possession. Uh, you, you see that, you don't have it in front of you, um, but, if, but if, if you were to skip down to verse 18, verse 18, Paul prays for believers and he says, he's praying that you may know the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You hear that language again? The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, do you have an inheritance to look forward to? Yes, and, and, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But before you see that, you need to see that as someone connected to Jesus Christ by faith, you're also God's inheritance. You, you are his treasured possession. I mean, if, can you see if we believe that, how that would change everything about us, about the way we think about ourselves? That, that you and all your sin and all your failing and all your regret and all of our failed attempts to get up and read the Bible and, and we, we sleep in again. If, if, if you're in Jesus Christ, if you're connected to him by faith, then you are God's treasured possession. You're the treasured possession. You're the inheritance of the creator of the universe. Everybody's seen Nemo, right? Uh, I'm not, not going to give anything away talking about Nemo. Um, 
what's his dad's name, Merlin or Marlin or whatever his dad's name is, remember how he, he is just he's seeking after Nemo that entire movie. Why is he doing that? Because he loves him because he's his treasured possession. That's the type of love that, that God feels for you as his child. He's going to continue to, to come after you and seek you out and, and, and pull you to himself and draw you to himself and seek to do you good. The other night we were watching um, one of the 30 for 30 specials on ESPN, and, and this was a special about the, the earthquake in 1989 in the Bay Area of San Francisco and Oakland. Some of you uh, remember this. San Francisco and the Oakland A's were playing in the World Series, and it was, they were about to start the third game of the series. They were on the field actually warming up when this major earthquake hit. And... The stadium, it moved a little bit, but it, it, it survived, but it was really a big disaster. One of the, the worst things that happened was uh, one of the, the interstate bridges was one of these double-decker bridges where you've got traffic on both layers there, and the top level fell for a long stretch, fell down onto that bottom level of the bridge. And you can imagine what that would do to a car and a person inside a car, and, and many people did lose their lives. But there was one man, this, the, the bridge, the top fell on him, and he was crushed and, and, and trapped in his car, but he was alive. And he said he had about two feet. All right, his car was like down to this. And he's in there, and he's alive. His back's broken. He's got, a, he's got a lot that's broken, obviously, but he was alive. And his dad knew that he was out there. And he went looking for him. And, and can you imagine looking like you have to crawl into that two-foot space, and there are going to be aftershocks and tremors. You don't know if that thing's going to come down on you at any moment. And his dad wasn't the one that found him, but he was in the same section when they did find his son there. And his son is actually in the documentary. Like, he survived, and he still works as a fireman. They, they, they found this guy's son. Why was he willing to do that? Why would he, did he go crawling into this bridge that's about to collapse potentially? Because that was his son. It was his treasured possession. And so he wasn't going to leave him there. He was going to go after him and find him. Y'all, what this is telling us is that God is actually looking forward to the day when you are in his presence. When all of your hurts have been healed, when all of your sin has been done away with, when, when you're not anxious and worried anymore, and he can give you your inheritance because you are his inheritance. The, the, the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills looks at you and you make him feel wealthy. He's got all of that and he looks at you and you make him feel wealthy. I mean, again, can you imagine how that would change your life if you actually believe that? Can, can you imagine how that would silence the, the condemnation that we talked about a few weeks ago and, and the negative self-talk? Do you know what that would do to our insecurities? if we believe that, to our constantly feeling like we have to prove ourselves. God chose to love you not because you're lovable, not because you sinned less than other people, not because you were super smart and had it all together, 
but simply because he chose to love you and he wanted to redeem you and rescue you and save you and restore you because he wanted to make you his treasured possession. And we probably could just quit on that one if, if we could really grasp that. But you've got to have three points, right? Um, the, the second point, we need to see God's plan. Now look at verse 11 again. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, back up a couple of verses to verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, verse 9, Paul starts talking about a mystery. Now, what's he talking about when he's talking about, what's he mean by mystery? Paul's referring here to something that's been previously hidden, but now it's been made known by God. Now, what is it that's been previously hidden, but now it's been made known by God? Well, it's this verse 10, his plan to unite all things. In him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. What's that about? All right, well, go with me here for a, more, a moment. Imagine you're a planet, okay? I know it's a stretch, but imagine you're a planet. You can be Pluto if you want to, all right? I'm, I'm a fan of Pluto. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there for Pluto. And, and imagine that you are in your loop. You know, you're revolving around the sun all right you got you everybody with me now now i have to tell a story here when i was in seventh grade in alabama history my alabama history teacher made us come to the front of the room and one of us had to be the sun and others of us had to revolve and rotate around the sun and that was but that's does that, that should make you feel better about education in south carolina um but but anyway all right so you're a planet and you're you're revolving around the sun and imagine you decide at some point this is really kind of boring. I get tired of doing the same thing over and over again. I'm just going to go my own way. Right? I'm not revolving around that anymore. It's bright. It's too close. It's no good for my skin. I'm just going to, I'm going to take a, a, a different route. Now, imagine that not only you decided to do that, but all the other planets decided to do that as well. And, and what would you have? You would just have chaos, right? All right? It would be a disaster, right? I mean, why is that? Why shouldn't a planet be able to decide what it wants to do? Why can't a planet be free to go whatever way it wants to go? Why does that bring about, why would that bring about such chaos and a disaster? Because it's not what a planet's made to do. Planets are made to revolve around the sun. And when the sun's not, if the sun were not at the center of their orbit, everything would be a disaster. You and I as human beings made in the image of God are made to actually revolve around God. He's made to be at the center of our orbit. But what the Bible tells us is that every one of us, beginning with Adam and Eve, has been like the, the planet in that illustration. We've said, I don't want to revolve around God. I want to choose my own path and, and go my own way and do my own thing. In fact, I'd prefer if God were to serve me, 
And if I can figure out how, I'd really like to get all those other planets to revolve around me. That would, that would make me much happier. But that's not what we're made to do. That's not how God made us. He made us to revolve around him. And the result is that we have brought pain and heartbreak into our lives. We've brought brokenness into our lives. We've brought brokenness into the universe itself. There's, there's, a, there's a brokenness to the very fabric of the universe. It's not just us that's broken. It's this place that's broken. But God. But God has a plan to unite all things in Christ. He's got a plan to restore the planets, as it were, to the proper orbit around his son. He's going to restore things to the way they were originally meant to be. He's got a plan to bring healing to the very universe itself. Romans chapter 8 talks about the day that creation itself, not just us, but creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Revelation pictures this new Jerusalem, this new city coming down out of heaven to earth. The scriptures talk about the new heavens, the new earth when, when all things are, are made new. A day when everything that's broken about this world now is going to be made whole and well. A day when you're going to be made whole. A day when all of those benefits that we experience now, they're ours fully now, but we only experience them in part now. Our adoption, our redemption, our justification, our sanctification. They're ours and we experience them now, but we don't fully experience them now. We'll fully experience all those benefits in the new heavens and the new earth. If you are in Christ now, a day is coming when you will be completely and totally redeemed. When everything wrong is going to be made right. God is planning something so much bigger than us just kind of floating around with angels' wings, playing harps for 10 million years, okay? We'll get to experience the, the best food we've ever eaten, the, the, best, the best music, the greatest culture and laughter and fellowship with each other and with God that's completely unmarred by our sin. The lame will get up and walk. The, the blind will see the deaf will hear the diabetic won't be a diabetic anymore all of those things that are wrong with us will be made right we won't have the the emotional scars that we carry people who have been beaten up by this world god will wipe away every tear and and bring a healing that is so great that seems so much greater even because of the difficulties we've gone through in this life. What does it all mean? Well, that means I can trust him to get me there. I can trust him to get me there. I'm his treasured possession. And he has a gift that he wants to give me. I'm his inheritance and he wants to give me my inheritance. He wants me to feast at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And my struggles aren't going to keep him from getting me there. 
my sin is not going to keep him from getting me there. If I'm a believer, he's purchased me at the cost of the blood of his son, and he's going to get me there. God's going to do that. It also means I can trust him in the hard things of my life. I may not understand them all. I certainly will weep over many of them. But I can trust that even though I may not get it, even though I don't get it, my God, the God who loves me, is powerful enough to work all things, all things according to the counsel of his will. The God who loves me is so powerful and wise enough, he's able to work all things even for my good, for the good of those who love him. In the book of Genesis, Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. He winds up rising in position and in power. He becomes the right-hand man of, of Pharaoh. And there's a famine in the land, and they've stored up food in Egypt, and Joseph's brothers come down to, to purchase food from Joseph, but they don't know it's him. And so finally he tells them who he is. Hey, I'm the guy you sold into slavery those many years ago. And they're all scared half to death. So they're like, well, I guess it's time for payback here. And Joseph says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive. God is able to use, in his great plan, he's able even to use our sin sinlessly. He's able to use the way that we've, ways that we've been sinned against sinlessly. Acts 2.23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You did it, you're responsible, and yet it was the very plan of God. And he has used that, the, the worst event of all time, to bring about our salvation. We're responsible, and yet God is sovereign. Does the Bible explain how that fits together? No, it just it lays it out there and calls us to embrace that and to trust him in his sovereignty. I mean... Let me give you a, a, a practical way of how this might help us. Uh, imagine you're a, a believer in Jesus Christ, and you're, you're the one who has Ebola, and you're in isolation in the hospital. Or you've been attacked and beaten up, and don't know if you're going to make it, and you're the one in the hospital bed. How does this, how can I speak to you out of this? What does this say to us? I can say without a doubt, look, either, either God's going to heal you now in this life, he's going to make you well, and I'm going to pray that he does, or he's going to make you well in the new heavens and the new earth, and you can know that without a doubt. I have no idea why this happened to you, and I wish it hadn't happened to you, but I know God loves you, I know God treasures you. I know God could be using this to sanctify you. We may never know why this has happened. God, in his mysterious providence, has cho chosen to take you through a very dark place. 
this may be the thing God uses to bring you home even. We don't know that. But I know it didn't happen because he doesn't love you. That somehow it's in his sovereign and good plan. Because he's shown you how much he loved you in the cross. He's given you his son there. And he's, if he's given you his son, he's given, he'll give you everything that you need. He won't abandon you in this. And you've got to trust right now, even though you don't get what's happening to you, you've got to trust the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And you've got to lean into that and trust your father in that. So we've seen God's love. We've seen God's plan. And I want to look here to wrap up at God's guarantee. Look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Paul says that believers, if you're a believer in Christ, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Uh, and in <clears throat> Paul's day, the promises of a document were guaranteed by a wax seal that a king or someone in authority would, would imprint with their signet ring. And they would seal that document to, to, to guarantee it. When God seals us with, his, with, with the Holy Spirit, one thing he's doing is he's marking us as his possession. He's saying, you're mine. You're my treasured possession. You belong to me. But the other thing he's doing is this, is the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing that your redemption is coming. The redemption that you only experience in part right now. I think about it like this. When you make an offer on a house, you have to do what? You have to put down earnest money kind of guaranteeing that you're going to come through with the rest of the money, that you really do intend to purchase the house. The Holy Spirit is God's deposit to you, guaranteeing that God's going to finish what he started in your life, that redemption is coming. Now, our experience of the Spirit, it, it can be subjective, right? But the Spirit is there to convict us of sin. I mean, think of the times, think of the things now as a believer that, that you feel convicted over that you never would have felt convicted about before. The Spirit convicts us of our sin. The Spirit is also there to give us assurance, to give us this inward reassurance that we are the children of God. The Spirit is there to produce fruit in our lives. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Well, how do we know that if we have the Spirit? Well, one way we, we look for fruit, do we see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? But we have to be careful with that because you don't just become a Christian and suddenly have a bumper crop of fruit, right? You have to grow in grace. So this is a, this is a process. And there may be stretches in our lives where it seems like we're pretty barren. So what do we do? There's a clue in the text about how we know. Look in verse 13 again. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. We don't need to go looking for any dramatic experiences. The dramatic experiences that you believe the gospel. 
And if you believe the gospel, when you believe the gospel, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. If you believe the gospel, you've got the Spirit. And so you should rejoice in that. Listen to how Brian Chapel puts this. Belief itself indicates the presence of the seal of the Spirit of God that guarantees we are God's children because without the Spirit, we could not and would not believe. He goes on to say, I can know that nothing in my life is without purpose because I believe that the Savior died for me and now as my risen Lord, he gives me by his Spirit, he li- excuse me, he lives in me by his Spirit so that my life will be used for his glory. Such belief is itself the evidence and the guarantee of the Spirit's presence in my life and God's purpose for my life. God has a purpose for me in all my weakness, frailty, sin, and fear. Are you a sinner? Are you frail? Are you weak? Yeah. How do you believe the gospel? How do you believe the gospel? If you have, that means in spite of you, right? In spite of your weakness, in spite of your frailty, in spite of your sin, God treasures you. You're his inheritance. He he has a, a plan for your life and for your future. He's given you his spirit. He was going to guide you and shape you into the very image of Jesus Christ. Put your hope in that. Not in yourself. Let's pray. Father, um, make these truths uh, more real to us than I've been able to make them real to us. Drive them home by your spirit. Father, you give us the spirit to testify with our spirit that we are your children. Father, would you do that now? Would you apply this preaching of the word to our hearts in ways that are surprising even to us? So that we walk out of here reassured of your love for us and your plan for us and your promises to us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.